Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? I'm excited about today's show. We have a really great entrepreneur who's really been able to do some very interesting things on his journey. And what's very interesting, he's doing in a space that until very recently was stigmatized, but he's been very involved in helping move this industry into the mainstream cannabis industry, specifically in Canada. And it is part of that journey that is so interesting and so much to learn from our guest today. So calling him a cannabis entrepreneur is the wrong thing. He is a true entrepreneur. And looking at this, he's the CEO of BevCana, which is an emerging leader in cannabis-infused drinks. But they're doing much, much more. And I'm interested in talking to him about their bigger picture of the global. Because looking at this company, I'm really seeing a lot of echoes of, if you ever read the history of Red Bull, yes, that's huge. But they're following along and getting a lot of similar points to what Red Bull did early on. So this could be interesting. And also, because they've been involved for so long in the space before it was cool, before the legalization movement fully took swing, they've been very involved and they built up a strong regulatory environment. That's really interesting. And I'm looking forward to learning more about that because we're looking at a world where our ability to generate business and to work in environments as an entrepreneur is impacted by the regulatory environment we're in. Maybe not as much as cannabis, but still being able to understand that and build that to be a benefit for the company, not just a hindrance to growth, but to use as a strength. That's something I look forward to learning more. So I am excited about his innovation in this channel. It's still early days in the cannabis industry, especially when it comes to beverages. As I said, I keep thinking this is going to be something huge, how he sees it and where they're going. So please join me in welcoming Marcelo Leon. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to have you here. You're doing such an interesting thing right now with your company and just the explosion of legal marijuana in Canada, but across the world. I am so interested in hearing so much about what's going on. But first, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. I really do. You have a great background with your previous companies, now with this amazing company that's growing. So can you maybe just share with us where you think you are on your own entrepreneurial journey now? Yeah, that's a great question. When I look at a question like that, I, and I look at my age and I look at the experience, the journey started when I was probably 13 years old, when my, my parents landed in Montreal, Quebec, and then we, we moved over to Vancouver, British Columbia, started off and we ended up in the apparel business as a family business. And we were the, the largest independent specialty store in Canada, and we represented a number of very international brands like owning the Johnny Versace franchise for over 30 years, the Dolce Gabbana franchise for over 10 years. We were the first importers of Prada ready to wear men's, women's accessories, shoes. It was quite an interesting business. So started at 13, looked at my parents, how hard they worked and came from a very humble beginning. I graduated from university throughout all my career. I worked in the family business, then ended up graduating from university and getting into the family business where we had a successful exit 
when I was, I'm 53 today, AJ. I know I don't look it. I'm feeling very healthy, um, staying healthy in mind and in body. And at 43, we ended up uh, having a successful exit out of the apparel business. And it was a family entrepreneurial business. And it was a very successful uh, business for our family over a 32 year span. And then once you get through that, you start to look at your DNA as being an entrepreneur. And then I looked at what does the white space look like for the next 10 years or 15 or 20 years? What's the world going to look like? And that's where I made at that point when I exited with the family business, I made two investments in the health and wellness space. One was in the apparel business again, as you and I were talking about with RYU. And then one was in the uh, health and wellness space for beverages. And I invested in a plant-based beverage company, CPG company called Trace. And I started off, I used to get walking pneumonia a couple of times a year. I used to get my runner's knees. So us entrepreneurs, our model is a little bit different. We really derive our passion from innovation, ideas, and beliefs that somewhat sometimes can are not as traditional as, as not having that entrepreneurial spirit. So I was introduced to a concentrate version on the Trace plant-based uh, products, the nutraceutical. And long and short of it, from four to where I am today, after I was getting walking pneumonia a couple of times a year and my runner's knee every other day, I now haven't had a cold in over nine years after taking the supplements and the product that I did. And uh, my runner's knee comes on once every couple of months. So as an entrepreneur, I was like, wow, this is awesome. How do we get people product at a ready to drink level or a nutraceutical level that can change people's lives and give them something that's healthy? And then the journey begins as that entrepreneur and we put those blinders on and we see the opportunity of, wow, could this be ever game changing? And what a process. I mean, I love that kind of concept because you're only a year older than me. So yeah, we probably have very similar, yeah, we grew up in the, as I always like to say, yes, I was born in the sixties, seventies, but me is like musically the eighties and that's my identification, all the pieces. But I like that concept of those pieces, taking the leverage you had from your family business into this, but CPG and yeah, the kind of a space 10 years ago, it's crazy now given the past three years, almost four years. All right. The past five years, it's been this like, oh my God, takeoff point. But going a little past six, seven years, it was not that there was some references. You had California medical, you had some stuff, but it wasn't, the expectation was there, but it wasn't just kind of just fell into place like that the journey so started started nine years ago ten years ago introduced to this great cpg plant-based product loved the company made an investment ended up acquiring the company then i needed to create a ready-to-drink version on the product took us six years pre-revenue to get uh, health canada compliance cfia compliance which would be equivalent to your us fda in the united states uh, once we were able to do that, prior to getting the, the approval from Health Canada, we also wanted to make sure that we, it, as we saw the journey as that entrepreneur, that this is going to have to become, we're going to get compliance for it. This is going to become a new category and a new cat classification. We are the leaders today as a CPG brand for uh, plant-based, fulvic, and humic. And what we identified was not only waiting for that, but we wanted to have a great source. So at the same time as waiting for compliance, I ended up acquiring uh, a bottling facility and land and an aquifer in Asoyas, British Columbia, which would be equivalent to your Napa Valley. So I was building the 
foundation as this entrepreneur, as I would say, Kevin Costner did in a field of dreams, build it and they will come. And that was really uh, in uncharted territories of a whole brand new category and classification. And so I ended up acquiring the source. I ended up acquiring this small little bottling facility up in Soyuz, British Columbia, nine years ago. And I wanted to make sure that the water that we had, once we would put those nutraceuticals in and make a ready to drink, would taste like the finest alkaline water in the world. And we have one of only two natural alkaline sources at a pH level of 7.7, untouched by man, that we utilize as our base foundation in our beverages. And so the journey, AJ, was crazy because here you are waiting for compliance. Here you are building the infrastructure and you're not even at CPG and getting into national distribution yet. And that all came to fruition. After six years, we received our compliance And then we started to get into uh, national distribution for our alkaline waters and for our alkaline infused products with our plant-based minerals. So we did our ready to drink and then we did our nutraceuticals for people that would like to put it in their protein shakes, cup of coffee, tea, et cetera, that would like to have their own dose amount that they would like to put daily. And today we sell our natural CPG products, non-infused products in over 3,000 points of distribution in Canada. So that was quite a journey. It took us about uh, eight years to get there. And then, as you mentioned, AJ, the introduction of the cannabis industry. As we became experts in infusing plant-based beverages in the natural CPG space, it was a kind of a natural thing that we were introduced three years ago to, hey, what would the possibility look like of infusing beverages with CBD or THC? And that's kind of how we started when the federal legalization began in Canada. And we were the only G7 country in the world that today is fully federally legal. And so it's been quite the journey into where we are today. And that's how it it, it came together from the standpoint of the cannabis space agent. So today we're a full embodied health and wellness company that produces beverages and natural products for white label clients, which is also a great service that we offer. And for our own brands, Trace and Anarchist Mountain, which is on the cannabis side. And we also offer natural products, nutraceuticals. So that's how we became embedded nine, 10 years later into a whole health and wellness company and having the barrier to entry of being able to do cannabis infused beverages. Does that, that, kind of, does that give you a good snapshot? Yeah. Tons and tons of questions, if you don't mind me just jumping around. Really, because it's really right now in entrepreneurship, the concept of acquisition entrepreneurship is becoming very hot. I remember I read a book a few years ago and I was like, okay, yeah, let me look at this. And I've been looking, I did buy the podcast. And then all of a sudden in about a year and a half ago, it became very hot. So like the kind of the space, it's these moments where you see things going from like, all right, a few people talk about it and there's always been like larger businesses of people doing it to then like it becoming a wave. You invested in this company. What was the thought process of, oh, this is interesting. Yes, this helps my life to, oh, you know what? Maybe I should go further. You know what? I would answer it like this. Crazy entrepreneurs that we are, saw the opportunity, believed in it, didn't necessarily know how was it going to work out, leveraged everything that I owned, borrowed from my family members, raised capital, and went all in into into this new category where we are today. But you never know. And especially when you're charting uncharted territories and, and paths, even more difficult. What I think the DNA with us as entrepreneurs and business people, you either, when you have something that you believe could be 
really great. And that could take 10 years. It could take 15 or 20 years. It could take 30 years. Here we are in the legalization of cannabis. If we would have all been around many decades ago to see the end of prohibition for alcohol, then we could have participated to where it is today, I'm sure. And you've seen many corporations and families that have. Wow, what what an industry, alcohol. Cannabis industry, CBD industry is even better for you, uh, healthier for you than I believe alcohol is. And what a great opportunity that United U.S. federal legalization is not there yet. So that's for me as an entrepreneur. I want to be in a space where, you know what? Wow, I have a point of difference and I can be early in a new space. And even though it might take 10 or 15 years, the, the barrier to entry and being first to market, what could that give us? And there were tremendous challenges in the road. I think that the, the most difficult part for us, AJ, was to build that foundation to get your business to a certain level, to be able to hold off and wait pre-revenue and be able to get there. That's the, the toughest part. That was the toughest part of the journey. For where we are today, we're just very blessed and, and well positioned for that white space of where we are. Beverages, functional beverages. Look at this whole industry today, AJ. It's all about health and wellness. Everybody wants to stay healthier. This pandemic has really made us look within and without. And getting up every morning is a beautiful thing for us. And so being in the health and wellness space for us is awesome because I want to help people get healthier. Now, I love that because there were so many twists and turns. And then now, because I joke, I moved to Spain four years ago and things were just happening in the States, but Spain, especially in Barcelona, had a bit of a, oh, yes, you know, they, it's not legalized, but they were marijuana clubs. Sure. And yeah, oh, you could do it. Well, me thinking, wow, I'm, I'm look back at the state, there's back in Canada, look at the state, there's so many cool things happening. There's ways of not just getting stoned. Yeah, you know, I'm, I've been a social toker all my life, but never, never a whole lifestyle. But in seeing so much going on, I get here. And realized that they, because of the structure and the outlet they gave it, it hasn't advanced at all to the point where it is very flat. And the innovation that you're having with the diversity of product and the concepts and the usage is nowhere to be seen here. Yet, I'd be curious to see how you guys are looking at international expansion, obviously. Absolutely. Look, at, on the U.S. side, we're this is the most important market in the world, the United States of America. And we're seeing that a lot of people are looking and, and looking at the backyard, which is Canada, and seeing how we've unfolded this legalization and compliance that's affiliated with this. And the U.S. for us is, was is so important that we ended up acquiring a direct-to-consumer company called Pure Therapy, which had a following of 23,000 customers and had revenue already. And it was a great platform for us to be able to understand the consumer and sell hemp CBD products on our website. So that market, U.S., and then partnering with your number one beverage brand in the United States called Keefe out of Colorado. We partner. Keefe is the number one in dollars sold and volume units sold last year in the marketplace in the United States. They make an incredible beverage. We are their partners in Canada. Keith Brands in Canada is partnered with us. So anything that we produce in Canada or sell is done through our company, Bevcana. And that gives us a great partnership to be ready for the United States for our own distribution because Keith has a great distribution network of over a thousand dispensaries and a great distribution network in different states. So we're still early days 
We're still early days. CBD, being able to have access to CBD products, nutraceuticals, topicals, beverages, where you can go into your Walmarts, Costco's, et cetera, and just purchase them. We're not there yet on both sides of the border. We need to get there. So there's the opportunity. We're going to win all of us, the people that can stand and be in this industry and wait for this compliance to come because it's going to take time. It's interesting because we've had some guests on the show who talk about their ability to handle different forms of compliance. We are Rosie. Steph, the founder behind it, she was talking so much about her ability to build a team that was able to then hand employment contract or employment regulation around the country, just the United States, and just all the complexities in this, to give full-time equivalent roles to traditionally freelancers. So this idea of providing it, and because they were able to jump, they all of a sudden, because they were able to figure out all, I call it jump through the hoops, but yes, yeah there's more to it than that. But because they were able to figure that out and put so much expertise into it, they were able to grow very quickly. It seems that's a big condition around your growth. You guys have been around and handling and getting ready and being able to figure out what, do you see that as a big aspect of the entrepreneurial effort for you is you guys have a great product. I was seeing all the amazing reviews and people really love it. Your ability to handle the regulatory environment that I think allows you to expand here. Yeah, you've got to, as an entrepreneur, I think one of the, 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 the biggest things that we need is we need stronger people around us that are even smarter than us when it comes to uh, specific parts of the business. And we're very blessed. We have a very strong and you have to have a very strong leadership team and a very strong compliance team that can handle all of the the requirements. This is critical. And so it just becomes, it doesn't even, it doesn't fathom us anymore because it's just the way it is. If you're going to be in these in in the federal legalization of cannabis that a few years ago was not socially acceptable or federally legal you got to have those you're right you have to have the right people that can deal with that and that compliance part of your business is is a full-time job and it, whether you're in Canada or whether you're going to go into the United States even state by state as you come now into the United States and as we go in internationally into Europe etc it is a very big part of the business probably a very strong 25% of your infrastructure allocated full-time to be compliant and to make sure that you're facilitating that process accordingly. And that's an interesting piece because and I guess that's for where you are going because I know other companies, their ability to handle other regulatory environments to let, becomes almost the attraction for other companies to acquire them or for other situations, just because that learning curve is so difficult, that the ability to handle it. So you come from a family business, you guys grew in and sold, you now have something that is beginning to really go gangbusters here. Maybe not the best usage when talking about cannabis, but still, <laughs> um, yeah. Figure of speech. Figure of speech. I have to massacre a couple of sayings or my team is disappointed in me. So you're here. And this is a type of thing. We've seen other entrepreneurs take a similar thing. Yeah, Red Bull pretty much was a similar thing. Someone saw, you know, someone was creating a syrup. Someone said, oh, wait, why don't we do this? Became a whole different game. But I've also seen, and I know people who are involved in funds who are buying companies like yours left, right, and center. 
Where do you, where are you looking to take this? Where are you going with this journey here? I had that same question about a week ago, and it was the first time that I looked at it from the perspective of where the journey is, where I am as far as my journey. And and I think as you start off and you are an entrepreneur, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we can make in the, in this journey is we can get extremely attached to the businesses, to our project, whether it's right or wrong to do, but this is just human nature in our DNA and as, a, as individuals. And so I've gone through that journey with my family business and other businesses that I've invested in. And We've had great opportunities and possible opportunities for other people, corporations to acquire us. All these years of experience, the door is, I'm open to any possibility that would leave something of great legacy for our shareholders, for people that that what we've done carries on and continues to be there. And that could be someone acquiring us. It could be that our company continues to make acquisitions, et cetera. It could mean that a major corporation comes around and acquires us because we are, we do have a point of difference. We wanted to make sure that we did. We are, we do have the opportunity, one of the very few and probably the largest in Canada to do white label bottling services, which is also pretty awesome because if you wanted to create your own beverage, you could come to us and we can offer you different form factors. We can blow your bottles. We can take care of you. We can do packaging. We can do the whole thing and offer you an opportunity to produce without having to incur ridiculous costs because barrier to entry is very difficult. We look at the future as continue, enjoy, have fun what you do, love what you do, surround yourself with great people. When you're a public company, private and public, and you have shareholders, you want to create that shareholder value for them. And you never know what the future looks like. But I have sat with entrepreneurs and I've asked them, hey, what would you do with your business if uh, a corp company came around or would you sell? Would you look to do this? Would you, Oh, no, it's my baby. I'm going to stick with it forever, no matter what. And and I think I think now at 54, as I just had my 54th birthday, I thought I was 53 there for a second. I think that we look at all possibilities. You never know in, in life what happens. What we do know is right now, We've got something great. We are working on, on, as you mentioned, having that innovation and being proprietary so that you do have a point of difference. And as this industry grows, we're seeing lots of players looking at the space, a lot of people coming into Canada, seeing how it's working, how to spend a legalization, what is the compliance looking like, what's distribution looking like, what's delivery systems looking like, timing looking like, costs looking like, etc. We're not even on first base, AJ. So I don't know what the future looks like. What I can tell you is if we created something that that is so interesting that we could be an acquisition target, et cetera, and it creates shareholder value and it continues, I'm open to all possibilities because I've been on the other side, AJ, where we, we made the common mistake as an entrepreneur to say, absolutely not. That would never happen. I, I'm not going to do that. And I don't know about you, but I've been through that and, and we've missed opportunities from that. So as you age, as our journey as we become older, we become a little bit more, much more experienced and wiser in what in decisions and thought process that we make. My last agency that I did end up selling, I had turned down a high seven figure buyout from a holding company because I was, I thought I, I wanted to have the eight figures. I wanted that whatever. And then lots of things got choppy, bouncy, et cetera, and was lucky to be able to sell as we lost a bunch of customers. So I was able to sell for the low seven figures. <laughs> Once again, very right. small uh, violin to complain about, but or complain with. But yeah. yeah, I do like that you're creating something. And I think I know from my own experience and talking, it is very hard to kind of what is that value you want for yourself 
versus this concept of building and making the company better for your stakeholders, for everything. That differentiation is very difficult because you don't want to feel like you're a mercenary. You don't want to just say, you know, I'm always weird when someone says, yes, as soon as I can get $8 million, I'm done. And I'm like, but what about everything? What about having a team you talk to every day? You know, it's all that craziness. Yeah, it has to make sense. It has to, the first fundamental as, as business owners and entrepreneurs, if you're not prepared to risk everything, there's the first risk. You have to be able, you put it all on the line and then it has to make sense. And, and if it makes sense, it works. But your motivation is not that to exit quickly. Once you put in the hard 10 years where everyone looks at you and says, why are you doing this? This is crazy. No different than, like I said to you, Kevin Costner and build it, build a field and they will come. We did that. And now we're seeing some of the fruits and seeing where the industry is. So yeah, I, I look at it. It's so early where we continue to build and we're not a huge burn company, which is wonderful thing as well. We're not one of those huge LPs that we're nimble. We're very careful and we're entrepreneurial and we have our house on the line. So you can imagine that every move you're going to make it, you try to make sure that it's the right moves. Referencing the idea of being nimble and lean. One thing I know I had difficulty with the company company that I did solo and I'm trying to do differently now with my new company is pay myself and basically make sure that I'm in a better position. How do you make sure that you're taking care of your needs? And I know that sounds selfish, but you can't put through all this amazing effort if you're not taking care of yourself. The first time any offer or any bad stuff happened, as I jokingly say, I got knocked off my hill and I didn't have any cushion. So of course I took that first offer. How do you make sure that you're taking care of yourself as you move forward? I think as an entrepreneur business owner, I think that when you execute, everybody's a winner. Until that happens, you're long all the way to execution. There is, we don't, we unfortunately, we don't get that opportunity that, that might be like a different perspective for different, for others, for as an entrepreneur, as a founder, you've got to execute and get the business to the next level. And if you're successful to do that, then everyone's a winner, but that's the risk, isn't it? That we take. You can't compensate yourself. You have to pay everyone who works for you, but you can't, if there's no money, you can't pay yourself. You know, it's that lovely risk. You know, we have to generate, you have to make sure that value creation occurs. Well, okay, then maybe a little bit differently. As someone who has created, you've come from a family business, you put money, family money, house, etc., into this new business. Growing now, are there things you are looking to do to invest in yourself? Are there areas you are interested in as an entrepreneur that may be a little bit different than the typical retirement fund or the market? Are there things you look at to be involved in? I think through uh, my journey as an entrepreneur, I think wherever I go in the future, I've, I've, I've learned a couple of things. One, something we take for granted that we really take a lot of times for granted is that time, that we could always displace and, and wait for things because we have time. That's a misperception. We, we don't know how much time we have. Secondly, through the journey of being in, in businesses and investing and seeing successful exits with my family business, etc., I think moving forward from my 54 to Hopefully I'm around till I'm 94, like my grandmother was, and I can share with my family and enjoy something that I didn't do when I was from probably 13 to where I worked all the time. I didn't go on holidays. I worked. So time is something in, that, that I look for much more peace in the future. 
And I think I would look to invest and support more entrepreneurs that need help in our space because as a young entrepreneur, sometimes the challenges are you may not have enough capital, you don't have enough experience, you don't have I'd like to be able to help others that way versus having to get in from the trench again and build three companies from scratch, as I've done in my history, and build it from zero all the way up. I think that as we continue to grow, that would be where my legacy would look to to go, which is to see if I could help others and invest in other businesses, but to ever get as an you know, entrepreneurial like I have with Canon, a tour group, et cetera. That's, that's, those are, you might get two or three of those in your life. And then as you get older, you're like, Hey, that that's awesome. And now let's invest in others. So that's where I see the future. Yeah. I'm the way I say is, all right, I've had three minor exits and a few, a few things that just fizzled off in the world. Yeah. I have another good swing and probably another couple if need be. But yeah, it's that idea of like, all right, pick your chain, go for it. Now, in looking at supporting other entrepreneurs, it is very common. Do you look to be an active angel investor or are you investing in funds? Yeah, I'd look to be a, a non-active angel investor. Good. I, <laughs> yes, I, I like that. <laughs> I, I'm a real big believer that there's a lot of smart people out there and they're smarter than we are in certain areas. And therefore, they love their business and they're passionate. I like to see entrepreneurs stay in their business, continue to be successful with their business. I want to be able to invest in that for their growth. I'm not looking, I would not look to be a, a day-to-day micromanager, activist investor. No, I would no. I'm more of a business grow for them. And if they have the right signals, even if they're not profitable yet, but they put everything in place and we can see that coming from our experience of being an entrepreneur, we can pretty well, we have some, something to look at now that we've seen the number of projects over the year. So you can really tell if someone's on the right track or not. And sometimes everybody needs a little helping hand. We all have needed it over the time. And I've been blessed to get that helping hand over the years with different angel investors with us. And so I want to be able to share that and help others in the future as well. In talking about that and the help there, how do you, and this is always uh, people sometimes the concept of legacy you are building something that has a potential to be very bigly you have something that has a potential to be a very major player in an ongoing growing space but how do you see your legacy i know for me i look at what i'm able to provide for my children not so much the creature comforts but their abilities to handle the world and my hope that I'm able to set them off and let them do amazing things. How do you look at building your legacy? Yeah, I think it's been a concept that my wife and I have spoken about, and I think my family over the years, and I think that every 10 years, that legacy, your perception of what that looks like can change a little bit, and it adjusts and modifies. For me, if we can build a very strong foundation, a great business with Bev Canna, and we're so early days, the legacy for me would be to see this company for the next, when I'm 90, this company still exists and, and the products in the marketplace exists and our domination in our marketplace, in our category exists. And if that means that I'm still there on the board one day, or it's a major corporation that, that owns it, then I've done what I, I, I wanted to do, which was to leave something very successful that the baton could be passed on and continue to be relevant forever. And that's really how I see what legacy could look like. 
I like that. That is very Makes cool. Makes sense. Very much. And if you're in, you could probably, if it does become there, just like Red Bull, you guys could probably have a couple of, you're Canadian, so soccer will make sense to you. I say soccer here and I get kind of serious. Hockey, hockey, hockey. Hockey. Okay. Ho- hockey teams. <laughs> you can, yeah, you could spot, you could be, yeah, the Bev Ghana, yeah, <laughs> X team. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, I can see that happening where you guys own a few teams and getting it. But no, I really do appreciate you coming on the show because you've had such a great journey. And I love the action you take. It's like moments of direct decision, action taking that entrepreneurial leap of faith with then the grind for that longer, bigger pay, the higher value creation in building. You hit the nail on the head. And it certainly is never easy overnight success. It is exactly as you stipulated. Difficult, challenging, ups, downs, grind, happy, sad, tribulation. You name it, you'll experience it. And you just, you know what it's, you've been there. You never stop. You got to keep going. There's always another one, but that ongoing forward progression. Yes. Marcel, thank you so much. And everyone will have links to the thing and you should go out and check out trace and other things in your legally provided locations so no thank you so much for coming on the show bless you thank you yep all right i hope to have you back on the show when you guys have taken on that next huge thing hey everyone that conversation with Marcelo was a lot of fun for me. And there was so many things I wanted to just stop and take notes. on. So a lot of times I go back and I like re-listen to the episodes myself just to take notes so I can talk to my team and figure out ways I can improve myself and things that I can bring into my team. Really in talking with Marcelo and the excitement I see in what he's doing with Bevcana, there are three things I really th- stood out to me. One is a theme I know I keep talking about and talking about, and I'm going to point out how cool I think it is that he's done this and yet contradict it later on. So please bear with me. But one, Bev Kana, where he is with Bev Kana now is definitely an expression of where his entrepreneurial journey has been. His involvement with his family business and the success he was able to help generate and happen and occur with that business put him in a position to get to another level and kind of go deeper into what he was trying to do. And not that we all need family businesses or stuff like that. Yeah. That's a lot of work, no matter what we all, a lot of times look at our creations, our businesses, especially our first ones that we get any traction. Believe me, I had a bunch that never got traction before I got my first. So let me, (laughs) not our first business, but our first one that gets something real happening. And we look at it as it has to be. We're told all the time, drop out of Harvard, create the multi hundred billion trillion dollar companies, create the next Apple, all this. When most entrepreneurs really, it's this ongoing effort. And if you look at successful entrepreneurs, once you take off the very famous top, top level, but you look at the ones at that level above where that eight figure, nine figure, even the 10 figure, they're usually people who have, as I called it, rinse and repeated. They've gone through the journey. They've had a business. They've failed at a business or they've had a decent success. And they've used that either capital or learning to go and do something else slightly more, slightly bigger. And they've gone higher. Marcelo did that. 
And I think this is something that we should all look at. It's this understanding of where you as the entrepreneur want to be and then using the tools, not just locking into this has to be a success or not, but looking at where you as an entrepreneur want to be and evaluating where your current opportunity allows you to go with that. So definitely interesting how he had used these experiences and a few others to get to that next level, become an investor in BevCan because it aligned with his health and wellness focus. And then because he was seeing the opportunity even broader, acquire it and take it. He's taken it so far up with his team now. They've gone. And that kind of leads to the second opportunity I think is worth us evaluating is so often when we talk about creating and running a business, we focus on the opportunity to create the right product, find the right market, solve problems for our customers, our clients, etc. To the typical business environment we talk about. But we're not playing in a level playing field, and I'm going to massacre a bunch of things here. We're playing in a distorted marketplace. In this case, with BevCanna is obviously the legalization of cannabis and the rules and law structures that are there compared to like sugar water. And there are regulatory environments and et cetera that you have to play. But we've started seeing from some of our guests on the show who are going to that next level. And I'm really thinking about Steph with We Are Rosie, how they've built up through their operational capability, a specialty and a whole process to facilitate their Rosie's employment structure within the US. Now, as an American living abroad, I have a love-hate environment with and having had built companies fully staffed and fully employed by a U.S. and having to fulfill all the legal structures. It's a lot. And I only had a 30-person company at my height. She's doing it with thousands. So looking at building an expertise there, Bevcana, you got to remember, he made an investment and then purchased the company before legalization. There was obviously a direction towards a full legalization in Canada. There was limited within different states. In the US, there was medical, there was limited with CBD, but full cannabis legalization was still a bit of a pipe dream. And they were involved in that process and built up, I would dare say, a moat around their ability to handle regulatory issues in multiple locations across multiple countries. Not all of us are built or playing in businesses that allow us or need us to play in this regulatory situation that may or may not exist depending on your industry. But it is something to look at, especially as you start scaling. Is there a quirk in the environment that you can build an expertise around? And I don't mean you personally, though maybe that is your piece, but your team to help build this capability that differentiates yourself and gives you just that little bit of moat, for lack of a better term, since we're all told to go find businesses that we can create that have moats. But that's something I think we're going to see more and more in this environment. I definitely think if we look back on some of our other guests and looking at the various environmental issues, we're going to see some very interesting environmental regulatory things coming down the pipe. And rather than looking at, as some people do, oh, how horrible they're taking away our economy, I think there's opportunities we should be looking at 
in building our businesses, depending on what they are and how we fit the different marketplaces, blah, 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 at what the opportunities are going to be to build businesses around these regulatory environments, around the opportunities there. So just something to think about in your business to bring in and go, where is that? Is there this edge? Is there this regulatory issue around what I do? Just give it some thought. And lastly, contradicting what I said earlier about it's okay for us to not rely on our existing business to be our rocket ship. I do think Marcelo's focus, and I put the word into his mouth, but he did agree and then he expanded on it even further than I was joking. You know, I said, oh, this looks like it could become the Red Bull of cannabis. And he went right with it and went further. We should be building BHAGs. But I do think the differentiation, much as I said earlier, you should differentiate between what you want to be doing as an entrepreneur and what you think the BHAG is for your opportunity, your business, your tool. There's a gazillion ways, but that thing you're creating, that thing you're building, that thing that you know, and drives so much of what we do as entrepreneurs, that should have a real purpose. Doesn't have to be the same purpose as your business, but looking at how this drive to be this huge business, looking at how people like stuff, we can go through all many of our guests. They're looking to create these huge opportunities for their businesses that maybe align with their long term goals as a person, but are specific to the business. Having a BHAG that fits the business, fits the opportunity, and fits allows two things. It allows you to also move potentially yourself out of full, can I articulate this in the right way, full investment of self in the business, because so many of us do have the tendency of like business self saying, what's the difference? And Let's just say I may have gone through different periods of my life with different businesses where I thought my identity really was my email address. Yeah, only in dreams, never in real life, I hope. But yeah, at times I would actually remember dreams where I answered, oh, and your name is my business email address. Okay, but back to the point is by identifying where you want to go and then building up the BHAG that's inherent in it you can find the delineation between the two points. And in working on that, you can bring in and focus on those resources that bridge the gap between you and the businesses, BHAG, and just even the ongoing thing. We talk about this and the structure, and we'll have some guests coming on soon around how to do this and how to build up the processes and structure. And we talk about different layers of it, but we're working on focusing on people who can help us as entrepreneurs iterate and go directionally correct in doing this. So really was impressed with how Marcelo has this huge, big goal and how he's aligning himself, finding his ongoing goal as an entrepreneur, and then the BHAG for Bevcana and being able to align the two while differentiating parts of it. Very cool and something I am going to try and learn from. And I think we too, as entrepreneurs, as you go and evaluate where you are and what you're trying to do, bring in those two things. The question of just what is the BHAG? What is this big thing? I love how Peter Diamandis, please let me have pronounce that with Abundance 360, his moonshots. I hope you found this worthy of your time because I really enjoy being able to learn and share the stuff with you. So please check out Bev Marcello and Bev Cannon. We'll have the links down in the show notes below. Really cool stuff. 
go if you're in a legal place, go buy some. If you're not, go cross the border, as they used to, you know, say once the borders open up for medical, because I think Canada will be open up later this summer to the U.S. Our show notes will have, of course, our social things. So please sign up, follow us, engage, tell us what you like. We just got some cool stuff about people wanting to know more about networking. So we will be bringing more of that in. I really do appreciate thoughts and criticisms, constructive criticisms. Yes, I know I have a weird New Englandy, New Yorker voice. So thank you for pointing that out. But no, otherwise, thank you very much for giving us your time today. I hope you have a wonderful day. I can't wait to talk to you again. Goodbye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.